Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with your host, Dr. Fuck, and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley. Kick on back and listen to another exciting episode. It's time for the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast! Hey, hey, it's that time of week again. It's the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, and we got a really good one this week. Uh, we got a killer interview with Darren. How do you, sp- how do you pronounce his last name, Ian? Wharton. Wharton. Who else has that last name? Do you know? Uh, Mrs. Wharton. No, a uh, famous rock star. Uh, Vince Neil Wharton. There you go. Vince Neil. Oh, and I am Dr. Falk, and with me is... That's right. Ian Wadley and from New Orleans, and we're here to brighten your life. Like we always do. So many people love us. And rightfully so. Uh, and uh, so many people love Thrasher Die. And rightfully so. Our new album is doing very well. I got a shipment for Japan. I sent them 20 CDs and in two days he sold out. So I'm sending another shipment tomorrow. Um, I, I, I had the band sign 50 CDs and wham. All of them sold, sold out. Um, put up a video in less than one day, a thousand views. And uh, what can I say? My album is fucking exploding. So well, I'd like to say congratulations. It is a great album, and uh, and, and I, I really do. I think you surpassed Poser Holocaust both uh, in every way. Sonic, and that's not a slam on Poser Holocaust, but this new one just. It really takes it to another level. Thank you. Alrighty, well, here's something else you should be proud of. Uh, our podcast has had the best month ever in the history of our show, with over 33,000 downloads in the month of October. So I want to thank all the listeners. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. We've reached an, another milestone, and... Uh, I can't wait. I'm still waiting for that million mark. When we hit that million, and I think we're at like uh, 350-something thousand. When we get a million, I'm getting the fucking tattoo. And I want that tattoo sooner than later. So keep tuning in. Keep telling all your friends about it. All right. Well, Rob Halford, who was the subject of our last two episodes, the Judas Priest British Steel and the Halford Resurrection, uh, has mentioned that he's he wants to do another solo project. He would love to do a blues album. He feels like the blues is in his blood, and uh, this is something he would like to expand on. And man, I tell you what, I, I would love to hear that. Do you have any thoughts on a Rob Halford blues album? Well, I wouldn't expect something great, but I I'm all for anything to make Halford. Like I said during the resurrection, man. Whatever makes that guy happy, I'm all for it because he's made me very happy through my whole life with his music. He's such a genius. And uh, who knows? Maybe the blues, he will. I mean, there's a clip of him on YouTube belting out. It's not a blues song, but it's somewhat close. He does, uh, at a guitar clinic with Paul Gilbert, he does an amazing version of Humble Pie's I Don't Need a Doctor. It's unbelievable. Ooh, nice. It's Love unbelievable. And it's, you know, he has that bluesy feel in his voice. So, I mean, I'm all for him doing a, a blues album, but 
I don't know, man. I, I have my... I'm, I'm a little worried it won't be great, but I could be wrong. You know, I reserve my judgment, but Rob Halford and Blues, I mean, I know he can belt it out, but can he actually write some cool blues songs? I don't know, because I've never heard him write it. I've never heard Halford sing a blues song, so I'm a little worried there, because, I mean, in my opinion, when he went industrial, that didn't tickle my funny bone. All right, Anthrax has announced the title of their new album. It's For All Kings, and this will be released in February. They've already released one track called Evil Twin. Did you hear this, Ralph? Fucking horrible. I hated it. It was terrible. I wasn't, uh, I wouldn't say I hated it, but I wasn't impressed with it. Just before we, we recorded this, I gave it another listen just to see if my opinion changed. I liked it a little bit more, but uh, it's still not, I still wanted something a little bit more, you know, I just want some thrash, some old school thrash, and it was a little bit too mid-tempo to me, but, yeah. you know, I'm gonna, I, I love Anthrax, so I'm gonna get it when it comes out. I love Belladonna, I love Frank, Frankie, the other, the other two can kiss my ass, and did the guitar player really matter? If it ain't Dan Spitz, who cares? That's what I say. I like Anthrax. Look, man. To me, it's all about fistful, metal, armed and dangerous, and splendid beat. That, to me, was Anthrax being themselves. That was Anthrax, like, you know, just playing by their own rule. After that, Among the Living, they try to be Metallica, and, you know, it's just any thrash thing, get all thrashy. Then when thrash was out of flavor, they went a little more, I wouldn't say grunge, but a little more safe. And then, you know, which is unfortunate because I love John Bush. And then, you know, then, you know, the return of Belladonna, I'm expecting, you know, some old school thrashing. Yeah, that album had a couple okay songs on it. I liked In The End, even though that's not a thrash song. But this new song is just terrible. And I feel like, I don't know, I have a feeling this album's going to be terrible because, I don't know, I just feel like those guys... And they're fake as fuck. I'm sorry. Anthrax has to be the most fake metal band in in, um, in history. I defy any of you fucks out there, especially you Anthrax fans. Find me one fucking picture of Anthrax in the 80s doing the horns. Okay? I have an interview of Anthrax during the State of Euphoria area saying, Oh, we don't bow down to satanic images and all that, blah, blah, blah. Now what do they have? A pentagram as a logo. Fuck those guys, man. But I gotta also say, Joey Belladonna is a class act, and so is Frank Bello, man. But fuck Scott Ian, and fuck Charlie for fucking running around saying that he played those solos and shit. Fucking taking away the the the, the glory of the, the great dance bits who kicked ass on those early albums, and they just disrespect the fucker saying Charlie played all those solos. Fuck that guy, man. Fuck Charlie Benante. Great drummer, but a, a, a fucking prick. And shit, Scottian's even worse. Alright, well that kind of leads into my next story, which was Dan Spitz talking a lot this week. And it's funny because it's something that was mentioned over like a couple years ago. Where Char uh, Scott actually did the interview and he said, yeah, that was all Charlie. Uh, you know, doing a lot of that shit. And three different like producers and engineers came out and said that didn't happen. That, that was all oh, Dan yeah. Spitz. Yeah, Ray player. Kennedy. Ray Kennedy from The Rods. Yeah. 
he came out saying, that's bullshit. That was Dan, Dan, Dan Spitz. And you can tell it's Dan Spitz. Look at the live videos. He had a sound all his own, you know? Dan Spitz was by far the most underrated fucking guitar player in Thrash back in the day. Guy was amazing. He was just amazing. And a nice guy, by the way. He lives down here. And I met him at several shows. And he's very approachable, very nice dude. Yeah, he's a little flaky. I think he beat up his wife and shit. But yeah, I mean... Yeah, but you don't know. Maybe his wife's a bitch. Well, I, you know, she doesn't deserve to be beat. I don't care how much of a bitch she is. The door needs to be beat. I, let me tell you, no matter how bad the bitch is, there's always a door you can pretend it's her face, okay? You hit a chick, number one, it's a bully thing, because come on, unless she's a bodybuilder wrestler, most chicks can, come on, they're easy to beat up. Come on, that's not bullshit. Let's be honest here. You know, there are exceptions. There's a lot of chicks out there that can kick my ass. But believe me, every girlfriend I've had, one punch and they're on the floor. They're in the hospital. Everyone I dated. And a couple of them, I punched the door instead of punching them. You know? I never hit a fucking chick, dude. That's just... I don't care how bad the fucking bitch is. Yeah, but 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 Dan Dan's a little guy. You know, that's like getting beat up by Rick Allen. You know, Rick Allen got, you know, supposedly beat up his wife. You get beat up by a one-armed man, you got more problems than getting beat up by a one-armed man. Well, I mean, that's my point. He's one arm and he still beat his wife up. That's what I tell you, man. It's easy to beat chicks up. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just, I'm just being honest. I would never beat a girl up unless she comes at me with a knife. Then yeah, sure, why not? Knock her fucking ass out. But if she's going to slap me, which has happened, I turn around and punch the door. I would never hit a girl for two reasons. One, it's like hitting a child. And two, I don't want to go to jail. Because if you hit a girl, you go to jail. That's just the way it is. And I agree with that. Go to jail. You hit a chick, you should go to jail. Hit a little kid, you should go to jail. So my point is, Dan Spitz, he fucked up, okay? That's not cool that he did that, but but I still defend him on his guitar playing. Richie Blackmore announcing more shows. Now... They're saying there's going to be four, but there's been three announced so far. There's going to be uh, Monsters of Rock, June 17th and 18th in Germany. And then there's going to be a show in Birmingham on June 25th. Now, do any of these shows, is this when Thrash or Die is going to be in Europe? Yes, it is. Oh, but, no shit. But... I do believe we're not going to have a day off, but I could be wrong. I mean, that's what the promoter said, that he was going to... He's in the process of booking every fucking day we're there. But, you know, hey, who knows? Maybe, you know, we'll have a day off and we can check it out because we will be in Germany. We will be in... in, Well, I think England, we're going to be in late May. But Germany, definitely, we should should be there in, in June. So, who knows? Maybe I'll get to see it. It'll be well, my that, third time seeing Blackmore. That would be amazing. I've never got to see Blackmore. Uh, and like I said, it's rumored to be a fourth show, but they haven't announced it yet. Uh, and they still haven't announced the lineup yet. I'd be real interested to see uh, who's playing. But it, it is, you know, it seems, I don't know if it's like strictly, well, I guess it should be, but saying it's going to be Deep Purple and Rainbow Songs. So uh, that well, could be. Well, he's got a that, singer. 
Oh, that's right. He did it now, but it, it's like a no-name guy. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's a guy that's never done anything. Well, I don't know who's going to fill out the rest of the band, but either way, you get to see fucking Richie Blackmore. I don't know. I think it's better he gets a no-name. I, I, I don't want to see Joel and Turner's thing Stargazer. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I just want him to swallow his fucking pride and get Ian Gillen out there. That'd be awesome. But well, Ian Gillen, Ian Gillen, unfortunately, doesn't have the pipes anymore either. You know? well, get some union... I'm all for some nice, you know, some young guy that can belt out the tunes. Because honestly, if I'm going to go see Rainbow, I'm only going for Blackmore because Cozy and Ronnie's not here, man. Who, who, who else? Well, well, Glover's awesome, but, you know, he ain't going to do it. Uh, Bobby Rondinelli, I don't care. You know, I, it's just, to me, it's all, this is about Richie Blackmore. You know, Ronnie James Dio, you know what, man? And I honestly do believe if Ronnie James Dio was alive, He'd be doing these shows. Uh, it'd be nice. I it bet be he nice. would have. I bet he would have. A handful of shows, you know that 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 pot would have been even bigger, because you know Blackmore got offered a lot of fucking money to get away from his little prancing music. A lot for him to do these shows. Promoters like, I'm sure they paid him millions. But boy, if he would have had deals singing, holy crap! I mean, the pot would have been huge and probably even more shows. But Unfortunately, Ronnie ain't here anymore, you know. And I doubt if Colsey was alive, he would have been invited, though. You never know. By the way, uh, I don't. do you listen to D. Snyder's podcast? I have, but I haven't in a while. Uh, you should check out his latest episode. He's got a little bit of a gripe about Ronnie James Dio that's kind of interesting. Really? Don't even yeah. spoil it for me. i got to listen to that. Yeah, ch- check that out. It's the new one. It's called, I believe, Listener's Questions. It's the, it's the latest episode. Interesting little uh, shows a different side of Ronnie that you don't hear a lot. Well, and I mean, no disrespect. I love Ronnie. I love Ronnie. I mean, uh, I met Ronnie twice, and he was the nicest guy in the world. But I also saw that video where he wishes Vivian Campbell death. So I know he's got a, a bit of a temper, you know. Hey, yeah. Nobody would do that. Nobody's perfect, you know. There you go. All right. Well, there's been a little snippet released of Metallica back in the studio. Uh, it doesn't say who they're working with. I don't. I don't believe. Uh, no, I think it said who was engineering, but it didn't say producer. But I, I did hear they were gonna say if they did something, it would be with Rick Rubin again. Are you interested in a new Metallic at this point? Do you hold out any hope, or do you just expect garbage? Oh God, no. There's no way they are gonna release anything good. But at the other hand, I saw this meme the other day, and I, I have to bring this up. No, I, I did see that as well. I saw this meme the other day where it was Lars saying, you know, you might hate me. And you might think I'm this and that. But you know what? I've influenced so many people to get into music. I've got people through the hardest years of their lives because of my music. I've sold a quadrillion albums. I've won many awards. So all you fuckers on your little keyboard bashing me, just remember this. I will die a legend. And you know what? I don't know if Lars said that or not, but you know what? I think he should say that. Because you know what? I gotta say this, okay? I understand Lars is a prick. I'm not gonna put aside. He is a cocky prick, this and that, but if you, any of you fucking Lars haters would take a, take your time and go on YouTube and look at Lars meeting fans, the guy is super nice to his fans, okay? And here's another thing. And this is, I, I, and I'll put Ozzy Osbourne in the same box. 
All you fuckers are so ungrateful to somebody that did something amazingly great. Okay, sure, he's not doing anything great anymore. I'll admit it. I'm not into Metallica after the 80s. I'm just not. I'm not even a big fan of Injustice for All. I like a couple tunes, but I'm not even big on that one. But what he did on those first three albums, he invented thrash. Fuck you all. I don't care what any of you say. Metallica is the first thrash band. Kill Em All is the first thrash band. Yes, Dave Mustaine has way too much to do with it as well. And I feel like he, he kind of got shafted a bit. But you know what, Lars did play well back then. Okay, he doesn't, and I'll say this too. And I know many will disagree, but I don't care. I saw that stupid movie. Well, actually my neighbor gave it to me. That, what is it, Through the Never? Was that the name of it? Yes. That fucking movie was so stupid. Like the stupid little storyline, it fucking sucked. But the concert footage was out of control. And you know what? I didn't think Lars played bad at it at all. As a matter of fact, watching it, I was like, Dude, Lars is kicking ass here. So, but again, I gotta say, I'm not a fan of Metallica. I don't feel like they have the fire anymore. I know they attempted it, and I know, Ian, I'm, you liked the last album. I found it to be fake, phony, a bunch of rich guys trying to be thrash. It just didn't work for me. But at the same time, I respect Lars Ulrich. And you know what? All you fuckers know now, Lars was right when Napster happened and everybody was attacking this millionaire suing his fans this and that look at the music business now tell me Lars was not right there's no record companies anymore downloaded has killed the music industry hey man who knows the way Thrasher Die is selling now imagine if you couldn't download this shit for free I'd be selling way more I'm not complaining but because I got a job and this and that, but people, bands out there, new bands, you ain't got a chance in hell to make it. You just don't. It's just the way it is. And Lars was right. Dead right. And you know, and there's something else I'll say about Lars. I think Lars is very humble because now when they ask him, damn Lars, you were right about Napster. He always skates around and he doesn't even go into it. He could sit there going, I told you fuckers. I told all you fuckers, now look what's happening. I've never heard Lars say that, not once. And to me, that's very admirable. Okay, he's a rich millionaire, he's into his artsy-fartsy shit. Okay, he changed, whatever. Okay, he's not a metal guy. All right, that part I don't like too much, but whatever, man. The guy played on Master of Puppets, you fucks. He did Damage Inc. You think that's easy playing on the drums? You think what he did on the first three fucking albums was shitty? You know you're fucking lying because let me tell you something. In the 80s, there was not one motherfucking metalhead I knew that did not love Lars Ulrich and did not love Metallica. Everybody loved Metallica. If you were like a metalhead and, and fucking, and, and Lars was always like the spokesman. Everybody loved Lars back in the day. Before he got rich and famous and his head got big and he lost his hair. So that's my little spew on Metallica and Lars. Alrighty. Thank you. Well, uh, let's talk about an album that I don't know if this is ever going to see the light of day, but I would sure love to hear it. And that's the album that John Five recorded with David Lee Roth. Yeah. And supposedly this is all done. He's been talking about this for a while. But I've got a feeling there's some kind of 
there must be some kind of thing with Van Halen where there's a gag order that he can't put it out. And I find it very disturbing that that Dave can do an album with John Five, but he can't do an album with Eddie. That makes you know? no sense to me, especially with the great album they did release. Right. And, you know, Eddie came out and said, you know, all Dave wants to do is fucking dance music. And, well, you know, before the beginning of the tour, Eddie was very negative on Dave. And Dave did come out in a comment, in an interview, I believe it was at American Music Awards or something they played, and he said he loves dance music and all this shit. But, uh, John Five says this shit sounds like old Van Halen. He says it's incredible, but he doesn't know himself if it's going to come out. And uh, I would I would love to hear it for one, because I think he did a great job on the DLR band album, but... I know they can do better. I think Dave can do better. I think Dave's writing, just his lyrics on different kind of truth alone, uh, was, man, some of the sharpest he's ever done. I loved his lyrics in the DLR band, like Little Texas. uh, Oh, yeah. Spotlight from a helicopter. Oh, it's some Black Sand. Beautiful Yeah, and Slam Dunk. I mean, it was good shit. I mean, but Dave always delivers. The thing about Dave, though, I got to say, if John Five keeps bringing it up, it might come out. Keep, keep leaving it out there. Like, plant the seeds that there's a Dave album with John 5, you know? Well, I, I think the only way this is going to come out is if Dave gets kicked out of Van Halen. <laughs> you know, or, which, or Van Halen breaks up again. Then I think you might see it. Which might happen, you know? I mean... It, uh, it, it, it very well might. You know, they, they seem... Once the tour started, they seemed like they were in a good spot, but... Man, Van Halen land, you know that shit's always sensitive, so who knows? Well, you know, Dave, Eddie came out saying, look, man, Dave doesn't want to be my friend, you know? Yeah, and, and I don't... He doesn't know man, where I, Dave is, you know? All right, and our last story, and, and this uh, goes back to a story you brought up last week, and uh, that was the Tool interview. Okay, wait, wait, before you go on, this is not the last story. I got a story after this one, so go ahead. All right, well, anyway, Maynard has said that, uh, you know, a lot of that shit was taken out of context and that the interviewer didn't pick up on sarcasm. And he said that, I do not think that all Tool fans, like he goes, the majority are just, you know, good music-loving fans. He goes, but there are some, like, you know, like, crazy fans, and that's what he was talking about. And he also said he does not hate Tool. It was, you know, uh, the thing about had to be conned into playing with him was sarcasm that doesn't come across when you read it on a computer screen. But that, that's what he meant. And he does have a weird sense of humor. I know you don't like Tool. You don't like Maynard. But this is what he said. And so it becomes a matter of belief. If you like Tool, okay, maybe you see it that way. If you hate Tool, you're like, okay, he's just backtracked. No, but, uh, no, no. I wouldn't say he's backtracking. Maybe he was being sarcastic. And to be honest with you, I'll be okay. I'm gonna be honest. I'm very depressed that he was he was sarcastic. I was hoping he was calling his fans retards. <laughs> Dave Mustaine did mention about re-recording uh, "Killing Is My Business" with the current lineup. Big mistake. Oh no 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 no. I I agree. I agree it's a big mistake. But he said the record company's putting it out. It's like, Jesus Christ, that remaster we did a few years ago was bad enough. You know? Wait, wait. Are they really going to do it? I don't believe so. He says right now they're too busy finishing up the new album. 
but he wanted to do it. And he says he wants, and I think it's funny, he wants to play like, uh, not behind the crooked cross, what is it, looking down the cross or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah looking down the cross. Yeah. You know, he wants to do a song like that, but won't do country. But anyway, uh, he said he did want to re-record it, but I don't think they're going to do it now. And, but and he, also, lo, lo, uh, Love You to Death, uh, you're, you're, you're down in hell with me. Right. Well, there you go. And you have one final news story? Yes, Dean Castronova. Mo, Novo, whatever oh, his name is. Oh, yeah, yeah, from Journey. I got to say, I got to give props to this guy, man. I mean, he, he's a drug addict. He beat up his girlfriend, what we were talking about earlier. But, man, now he's coming out saying what a monster he is. He's accepting blame. He said that Journey fired him, and it was the greatest thing. He said, I love the Journey guys for doing that because they saved my life. And he really does sound like a guy that understands what he's done, trying to better his life. And I applaud Dean Castanova for actually coming out and actually saying, I'm a horrible person. I did horrible things, and I deserve everything that's happened to me, and I'm going to do everything in my power to make myself better again. So I applaud Dean where I hated him like when I first heard the story going, what a fucking asshole, but at least... He's coming to grips to what he's done, and he's facing it, and he's taking responsibility. And you know what? I applaud the guy for that. And you know what? I wish him the best because that guy is not only an amazing drummer, but he's an amazing singer. Because when I saw Journey, he sang Open Arms and some other song, and the guy's phenomenal. So I applaud um, Dean Castronovo for coming, coming out and saying how wrong he was, and even applauding the guys in Journey for firing him, saying, I thank you, you, you saved my life, you know, by doing that. So I think that's a class act for a guy that's done like the most hideous shit you can do. So that's my news. Alrighty. Well, why don't we get into an incredible review that thanks to super fan Steven Kirsch we got. Let's talk to Darren Wharton from Thin Lizzy and Dare. All right, so we are very honored uh, to have a, an exclusive interview with uh, Darren Wharton. How you doing, Darren? Hey, Ralph. How's it going, mate? Uh, it's going great, man. I'm very, I'm very honored that you're a part of the show. You are a big part of the soundtrack of my life because uh, some of those albums that you played for, uh, I, I, I grew up on, and, I, and to this day... I still play him like crazy, you know. And yeah, okay. uh, and Ian, you we got Ian here, so you know you can you can throw in anything you want to say, Ian. <laughs> oh, yeah, I just want to say very honored, and, and we got to thank Steve Kirsch for setting this up. Yes, uh, and yeah, he's a super fan of the show and uh, huge Thin Lizzy fan and fan of yours. Uh, so I want to give him a big thank you because we're very honored to have you here. Likewise, guys. Likewise. All right, Darren. Let, let's go back. Let's go back before we get into your uh, current, uh, which we heard some of the songs that you sent yep. us. And uh, we yep. want we want to like, uh, which we enjoyed, by the way. Thanks. And, and uh, but we want to go back even before Thin Lizzy. Like, um, all right. Like, uh, are are, were, are you from um, England? Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of half Welsh, living in Wales now in the UK, but yeah, I was born in Manchester in the UK, where most of your probably listeners are familiar with Manchester United. Yes. Uh, born born in, in Manchester, um, lived there most of my life when I first started playing music, uh, 
Phil was connected with uh, Phil Lyman was connected with Manchester. That's how it sort of all began, really, because I was sort of playing in, the, in like a nightclub scene when I was like 16, 17, uh, on on grand piano um, and just and, and then sort of a like a young covers band. You know, I was only like a kid, but I was playing like Manchester five nights a week. And Philip's mother had a hotel uh, very close to Manchester, so Phil Phil's roots were there. And Phil was a big Thin Lizzy fan. Uh, sorry, a big Manchester United fan. Sorry. Um, so uh, you know, there was a connection there. As soon as, as soon as I got involved with Phil, we we had a we had a, a shared history. You know, the love of Manchester United and the fact that his mother was based in Manchester. So there was a there was a connection there straight away. Oh. Well, you were playing you were playing uh, gigs, man, at a very early age. <laughs> that interfere with school, or did did you leave oh, school? Yeah. No, I was, you know, I, well, I didn't leave school, but I was, I was playing, I was playing music since uh, I used to play the local pubs when I was 14 and 15 on the piano. Wow! Wow! Uh, but my dad got me into that, and uh, my dad used to play in the same type of thing. You know, it's a, it's a big thing in the UK if you want, you know, you, you, in the old days, not so much these days, but you'd go most of the pubs and 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 sort of clubs in 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 the UK would have live music, which would traditionally be like a an organist or a piano player and just people singing, you know, just singing in the pubs and the bars. That's a, that was a big thing in the UK. So your parents were very supportive of you doing that. They didn't they didn't give you any trouble for, you know, gigging every night? Oh god, no, no. I was on twenty five pounds a week. I was rich. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's incredible. That's, that's awesome that they're like, that supportive. That's like, that's like forty dollars a week at fourteen. Yeah. I was, I was I was I could buy, I could buy my own beer. <laughs> there you go. And uh, were were you have you recorded anything uh, prior to the Thin Lizzy uh, joining Thin Lizzy? Yeah, I had, I had. It was it was pretty dreadful. Um, it was all just sort of it was all just sort of very young and immature stuff. But it was, but you know, I think you got to get, you know, I, I sort of was into jazz a little bit when I was younger because I mean that's the sort of natural role for a keyboard player to go down to to go through when you when you're sort of learning the keyboards. Um, you know, and I, I only sort of discovered rock music as far as uh, people like John Lord and you know, and, and some of the great keyboard players through coming through the jazz thing. I used to listen to sort of Jimmy Smith and Herbie Hancock and stuff like that because that's the way you really got your your sort of chops together, if you know what I mean. Really, where you brought you on as a keyboard player, and that's the way you would you would learn to become uh, very proficient by listening to the the great sort of jazz players. Um, but obviously, when 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 as I got a bit older, I discovered rock music. You know, I started listening to Alice Cooper, and uh, you know, I mean, Alice was, was massive then when I when I was that when I was 15. Um, which I I met Alice Cooper last year when we were on tour with Dean Lizard. It was a great honour to meet him. I introduced him uh, to my son and my wife, and we had a and he's a lovely guy. So it was a real full turnaround to, to meet someone like Alice and you know and I knew John Lord quite well uh, the great John Lord nice. and you know it's just but, but learning keyboards it was a natural thing for me to come out up through the jazz thing because you learn all these fantastic sort of riffs and things to play you know which ended up Jimmy Smith like an uh, that basically ended up as the Angel of Death track you know right oh, uh, yeah. Darren, Darren not to get off subject but I have to bring this up Ian what happened? Uh, yeah. What happened to me last month? Like yourself, Darren, I am a huge Alice Cooper fan, and right. uh, somebody hooked me up with a VIP to go meet him. Uh, he, right. he played here in Miami, uh, open for Alice Cooper. And in in the VIP, there was a lottery. Like only one person can win and go up on stage and throw balloons out. 
and <laughs> I won. And I was actually on stage with Alice Cooper throwing oh, balloons no, no. out. Yeah. That was fixed. You, yes. you, you fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I swear. Yes, if, if, if I could have, I would have. But uh, yeah. no, and then I got to meet him afterwards, and he was awesome. No, he was he was awesome. What a lovely guy. And, yeah, uh, very nice guy. Uh, that was a great honor for me as well. Yeah. Was he very talkative? Yes, he was yes. very talkative. Yeah. In the in the airport lounges, because we were sort of touring with them with um with uh, Def Leppard and uh and the the thin the new sort of reformation of Thin Lizzy, um the tribute Thin Lizzy type of thing that we just did last couple of years ago. And uh, also, uh, we, we did some shows in, in Belfast and we did some shows in Dublin uh, with Def Leppard. Uh, but we had Vivian from Def Leppard playing with us on guitar on that tour. So it was a really nice family, um, like a family event, you know. We all got to know each other quite well. And obviously, Damon Johnson, who plays with the new um, incarnation of Thin Lizzy, was, was, was Alice's guitarist. So we were quite sort of, it was, it was a real sort of pleasure to be involved behind the scenes with him as well as on stage you know that's nice. awesome i did get to see you uh in miami uh open for judas priest do you remember that yeah yeah that was that was a fantastic show i was i was just amazed that that you know it was it was we just i just love the way the americans do stuff like that you know to have that lovely event right in the middle of the the city like that you know yes. you get things like the uk and that can all be you know I just thought it was amazing because that was my first time to Miami. I've, I've been to Florida before, but that was my first time in the center of Miami. And to play to play that gig, you know, with all the, all the skyscrapers around was, was awesome. Yeah, and you had the bay right behind you. That's a really good venue. It is a lovely venue, yeah. It's hey, a noisy fun. city. <laughs> what was that? It's a noisy city. Yeah, unless yeah, it, it just is. Our, it was just our hotel, it was just like deafening traffic. And it was a, a very a fantastic experience. Yeah, yeah, and it was a great show. You guys performed so well that night. It was awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Um, now, go ahead. Uh, Darren, when, when you came in uh, to Thin Lizzy, your first uh, appearance was on Chinatown. Now, were you initially, you were just brought in for the recording of that album? I yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I, I, I think there was a sort of transition. There was a, there was definitely a sort of a trial period. Um, because as you know, you know, Thin Lizzy was always traditionally uh, a guitar band, and, and most people know it for a guitar band, and that's and that's absolutely uh, understandable, you know, the, 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 those great albums that they did. But I think what happened is, you know, Philip was um, was a very was always trying to push the boundaries of his music, and what happened when they when Gary Moore left in the middle of the American tour because they were they were on tour with the. Uh, Journey, I believe. Yes, and, they um, were, uh, Darren. Yeah, they yeah. were. It was either Journey or Queen. I think it was Journey. And then, and then Gary Gary Moore left halfway through the tour, and then Phil brought in a keyboard player called Midge Joe from the UK, who went on to sing with Ultravox. Um, but it was Midge who wasn't as obviously as proficient on the guitar that Gary Moore was, so he couldn't really play all the parts. So what Phil did, they had Scott on the left, and instead of Midge trying to sort of get his way through on all the guitar parts they put Midge on keyboards and that was the very first time that Philip introduced uh, keyboards to the sound of Thin Lizzy um, now what happened after that tour uh, obviously Midge went on and joined Ultravox and obviously wasn't a proper guitarist so they they uh, they were in talks with Snowy White from uh, Pink Floyd and I came in the week that Snowy had come in and we were working on the Chinatown album so Phil had just put the feelers out that he was interested in getting a keyboard player because of his experiences with Midge. 
and uh, I was lucky enough to know because of my history in Manchester there was a friend of Philip's that just uh, put me in touch with him he said you know he rang me up one night at home and just said how would you like to play with Finn Lizzie you know and I was I was 17 when I got the call um, and you know even though even though I was you know like a, a young kid and I didn't really come from a rock background I obviously was aware of Thin Lizzy with the boys back in town and and don't believe a word they've just had a big hit with that um, and I was on the train the next day and the very first time I went in the studio Snow, with, Snow had been with the band about a week uh, we were recording Chinatown the actual album track uh, of, of the album and Philip just asked me to play um, the riff, the riff, the, the sort of descending riff there on, on he had a little mini mook set up on the side, you know, and that sort of, you know, that's a very easy riff to play on the keyboard, fortunately for me, it was in a nice A minor key, and to me, you know, it was just a very, very simple uh, riff to play on the keyboard, um, and I played it first time, first take, uh, and everybody went, wow, you know, and I got the gig. <laughs> awesome. I was lucky. I was just lucky it wasn't in F sharp minor. Now, that's true. Yeah, I, that's true. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, now, obviously, you know, Phil was looking to expand the sound, you know, and to bring in some keys. How did the rest of the band feel about having a keyboard player? Was there any, like, hesitation for them, or were they all for it? Not at all. Not at all. Um, I, you know, got immediately got on with Philip and Scott and Brian like a house on fire. Um, played a couple of riffs on the Chinatown album. Did some work on some uh, on some sort of pad stuff on uh, on Killer on the Loose. Um, and Scott took me down to the pub down the down the down the road. You know, we were on Dean Street in London, which is right on sort of Shash, Shaftesbury Avenue. Tony Visconti's old studio, and uh, he immediately took me out to the pub and uh, put about five pints of beer down me to relax. <laughs> you know. And Scott just went, you stick with me, kid, I'll show you the world, you know. <laughs> and we got, we got on really well, you know. Me and Scott have been best friends ever since, and uh, Brian also, still very good friends with Snowy, and uh, just got on really well with all the team behind the scenes. And, um, you know, the first thing Phil, Phil asked me was, what, what um, football team do I support? And as soon as, as, soon as I said United, uh, his, his, his eyes lit up and said, you know, cool. You know, <laughs> so uh, I was lucky. I just, I just glad I didn't say Manchester City. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right answer. <laughs> yeah. So, so on. Uh, uh, I, I'm not. I'm a little blurry on this. On, on Chinatown, did you guys uh, tour the states, or was that just a European thing? Yeah. No, we toured. We toured America. Um, we toured America, Japan, Australia. Um, it was a pretty big world tour. Uh, I think we played. Was it? Was it, there used to be a theatre in, in the states called the? Was it? Was it the Angoras? Does that ring a bell? Uh, is is that in Chicago? Cleveland? Oh no, it's Cleveland. Yeah, the Agora. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I think we played a few of those, the Angoras. But it was about. It wasn't. We were headlining, so we weren't. I thought we were playing massive venues. You know, maybe about four or five thousand capacity. So it wasn't like the the, the Queen or the Journey tour that they did. But um, but yeah, we were in the states quite a lot and. Um, I think that was my first time to New York, and we also played uh, LA. I remember playing the, the forum there in LA, and Neil Sean got was and, and had a jam. Nice. Um, and I remember, I remember New York because we were in New York when John Lennon got shot. Oh. And that was, 
that was really bizarre. Um, and I think I think the name of the venue there in New York was that. Am I right for thinking the Mud Club? Not sure. Not sure. Though. Well, it's 980. Probably isn't there anymore. But um, yeah, but you know, yeah, it was a, it was a great tour. And then from there we went to Japan. And then from the Japan we went to Australia and New Zealand. And um, and it just you know it just snowballed. Yeah, it was un it was unfortunate that uh, not, none of those tour uh, Chinatown and anything afterwards did not come to Miami because they did come to Miami on uh, the Black Rose tour with Journey. Yeah. That's why I know it was with Journey, and I was supposed to go, but my yeah. friends my friend upset his father so much that he didn't take us, so I missed it. <laughs> that was my <laughs> only chance to see uh, Thin yeah. Lizzy because you guys never came back down here after that. No, I don't. I don't know why we didn't get down that neck of the woods. Because, but, uh, but I would have loved to. But you know, um, you wouldn't yeah, have known, I'm, Darren. You wouldn't have known if Gary Moore was there that night in Miami. Did he leave before the U.S. tour or afterwards? Because I've always wanted to know if Gary was there that night. I I couldn't tell you, Ralph. To be honest, I couldn't tell you that. Okay. Yeah, I've, I always wondered that. Well, what I heard was that at that show in Miami, Gary Moore hooked up with your mother. Oh, okay, all right, all right. And, and, and that's why he quit the band, and then he never came back to Florida to, 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 to avoid your mother. Yeah, my, uh, Darren, my mom is a little loose. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you, you may have met her in New York. <laughs> <laughs> how, how were the American groupies? Did you have a good time, your first American tour? Um, I, I, was, I was always... Um... The, the, the people who got all the attention in America was always Phil and Scott. They were like, what the term used to be for Phil and Scott was babe magnets, I think. <laughs> that's what that's what Wayne's World call them, babe magnets. Yeah. <laughs> that, that had to be pretty amazing, though, for you at that age to come over to America and, and, and play in, you know, these shows and everything. That had to be an awesome experience. Oh, no, it was, it was, uh, it was absolutely uh, un unbelievable um uh, experience, yeah. Sorry, my phone's just going. Uh, no, but we had a fantastic time. Um, and it, you know, as I say, it was you know my first time in the states, first time in Japan, first time in in, in Australia. So it was a real eye opener, yeah. But but much fun, much fun. Right. So the time you're in there is very active. I mean, you're doing an album and a tour a year. Then you go into Renegade. Now, at the time of Renegade, they make you an official member, correct? That's right. Yeah. I mean, I was. You know, I sort of become a member. Of, I just sort of missed the photograph on um, on Chinatown, and there was a there was a, you know, it was one of those things where they had to go through the record company and management and stuff like that, and I didn't feel any pressure that I had to, um, you know, I just felt honoured that I was sort of playing with the band on stage like that, and, and you know, I sort of, it was it was it was never a real issue for me, in part when it came to Renegade. Um, you know, I felt like I was a member of the band when, when we were doing Renegade because I got a couple of co-writes on there as well, you know, so, um, um, yeah, I mean, it was just one of those things, you know, I was only seven, I was 18 when I joined and, you know, I didn't, I didn't really care too much about my official status apart from the fact I was just happy that the guys wanted me along, you know, so that's the way, it was a steady sort of development and, and I can understand that because there was a lot of, you know, you know, the, the, the whole thing with Thin Lizzy was a, is a great guitar band, so, you know, I just think they had to be careful with sort of introducing the keyboard element. Right. Now, it's considered kind of a controversial era for the band with, with Snowy White. Uh, you know, some people feel like he wasn't the right fit for the band. 
Uh, yeah. Was was he was he happy in Thin Lizzy, or did he feel restricted, or it was a, a wrong match? And and how did the other band, uh, how did the rest of the band feel about Snowy? Well, you know, I mean, Snowy is a fantastic guy. He, he's a he's a he's a fantastic talent and a wonderful uh, personality to work with. And I think, you know, without without sort of putting words into you know because obviously the only person that could really tell you about that is Snowy but you know there was that element that Snowy wasn't too comfortable with the genre that Thin Lizzy were in you know he came from more of a blues background Snowy and uh, you know but what I thought was great with Phil that Phil always used to incorporate um, you know he, he wanted to incorporate all the talent that he had in the band he wouldn't he would never sort of try and isolate himself as a writer in any way and I always admired that with him because what he would do, he, you know, the first thing he did with Snowy was take a couple of Snowy's ideas and develop them into, you know, Philip's version of a Thin Lizzy song. And, that, and that's when you get tracks like Renegade. And he did the same with me. You know, I had a couple of ideas which turned out to be, you know, he had that, the, the Angel of Death with, that Phil really liked. And he took that on board and used it and we, and we wrote Angel of Death. And we have, you know, that's what, that's what was so amazing about Phil, that he had this great quality of, you know, utilizing and taking the best from people that he could and bringing the best out of people. So, so regardless of the fact whether or not Snowy probably wasn't the perfect uh, choice for, for Lizzie Tice for, for Thin Lizzy, only because of the, you know, because Lizzie was, you know, most people would probably agree, you know, Thin Lizzy were never a blues band. It was, it was more of a, you know, like a Celtic sort of rock type of thing. Uh, but Phillips. Philip's very nature was that he would utilise the talent around him, you know, and, and Renegade sort of came out the way it did, I suppose, because we've a the Snowy's slightly different style than Gary's, and obviously he, Philip incorporated the keyboards in there, and it just, you know, that's the way albums are written, you know, you use people's, um, you know, you, you use what's available to you, and that's what Phil did. So, I, uh, I feel that's why Renegade really does still hold up. Uh, all these years later, it's, I mean, I, you know, opinions are just, you know, it's a personal thing, but I yeah. feel like Renegade was more of a solid effort than Chinatown, but that's just me saying this, but I felt like Renegade, every song on there was top notch. I, I loved it all. And uh, you were talking earlier. I mean, I don't know if I heard you right. You said you came up with the riff to Angel of Death. Uh, yeah, that was my riff. Yeah. The, oh, wow. The, the intro. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean that was that's, that's the keyboard riff. So. Oh no! Oh, oh, the keyboard riff. I thought you meant like you know the, the riff of the song. Yeah, the, the whole intro. Uh, you came up with that. Phil didn't have nothing to do with it. That was something you brought to the whole to the band. Oh yeah, and that, you know, I mean, I mean, Philip. You know, I was sort of playing that sound check one day, and Philip really liked that sort of haunting. Um, you it know, is. That leap. Yeah, you know, and you know that's what we we started the whole tour with that you know the Chinatown uh, sorry the Renegade tour was, we started the whole tour with that um, and you know if you listen to that song one of the nicest compliments I've ever had was from Vivian Campbell from Def Leppard and Viv said to me he said when I went to see Lizzie on that tour he said that's the best because we used to have the we used to have the flags the Renegade flags blowing on each side of the stage if, if, if any of your listeners have never saw the the Thin Lizzie Renegade tour uh, we started off the Danes of Death and we had we the two renegade flags on each side of the stage uh, with dry ice machines blowing in and, and, and two strobes on the flags. So you got this fantastic effect of the strobes on the red flags. And then we had these big sort of pods rising from the back of the stage. 
and and you know, and then I would start off with with the with the theme of Angel of Death, and he said that's the best intro to any concert he's ever seen, and that was coming from Viv from uh, Death Leopard. I I took that as a real compliment. So. Oh yeah, it, it, it is. It is a great intro. It's a great opening track. One of the best opening tracks uh, of of any album in my in my uh, in my collection. I mean, that is a song. I mean, not only musically, but the lyrics to that song are just amazing. Yeah. It's historic. No, you know, and... we went out. I was out with um, we were out was out with the with the guys from Iron Maiden um, a couple of years ago in Helsinki, and and Steve. Steve told me that they, you know, Iron Maiden um, covered Angel of Death. I don't know if you know that. But oh, I didn't know. I did not know that. I know they covered Massacre, but I didn't know oh, they, they covered get, uh, Angel of Death. They also covered Angel of Death, which I've got to... Oh, I'd uh, love to hear that. Yeah, I would. I've not heard it yet, but it was on the B-side of one of their singles. So. Oh, i got to look into that. I didn't know this. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I want to thank you, though, for, for <laughs> co-writing Angel of Death, because that is a, a, a Lizzie classic. Yeah, it's it, one of my know, favorite Lizzie songs. Yeah. And, and, and Renegade was an album. It took me a little bit to get into. It wasn't one that grabbed me right away. But then as I got more and more into the band, I, I went back and, you know, because Ralph really championed for that album. He goes, no, 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 no. You need you need to go listen to that again. And, and when I did, it really clicked. And there's, there's so much stuff I love on Renegade. And, of course, Angel of Death is a standout track. But another one I really love, and I really love your playing on, is Fats. I, I just love, you know, you got. I, I could see, I, I could see you playing that in a, in a, you know, in a pub in Manchester, you know. It just, I, I love that song. Yeah, I mean that was just Philip, you know, typical Philip. You know, he was, he, he, he did never, he never wanted to be uh, the guy that would be um, predictable, you know. And I think that's why you got songs like Dance in the Moonlight, and because you know you. you come out with these great songs like Jailbreak and Massacre and, and you know all those sort of you know Emerald but then again he turn around and write something like you know Dancing in the Moonlight and Sarah and Fats and you know and that was what Philip was just a writer you know and I think that's what, that, what, that's what his genius was he would just come up with these you know some would work some would work better than others and you know I mean, Fats was never the, was never as sex that, that tracks like Sarah were but if you listen to the song Sarah you know, you just see the the diversity of Phil's writing and how and how clever he was at um, incorporating different styles. You know, so that's, that was I think that was part of his genius, really. Right. Now, you were also a huge part of his second solo album. Was that before or after Renegade? That was sort of going on at the same time, um, if I remember rightly. You know, we were we were Philip would. He's always writing songs, you know. He's always have an acoustic guitar down in the lounge there, where we, where we lived in Kew, in London. And um, he would always be sort of jotting ideas down and, and coming up with ideas. So, I, you know, I, I, it's difficult to know where all those songs came from at what at what point in. But I think I think he had ideas that were sort of being sort of, you know, groomed and sort of um, um, developed. Through through the years, you know, and 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 now and again he'd just finish one off, and then we'd bring that to the table for his solo project, you know. But I remember Old Town was one of the ones that he featured that he really wanted me to feature on, which was, which is which was been covered since by the Cores in the UK, right? You know, the Irish the Irish band, the Cores, the girl band, uh, and they did a nice version of it. But apart the, apart from the fact they missed out the piano solo, but you know, <laughs> Old Town, yeah, 
Uh, I just don't think anybody could play it. <laughs> it it's an amazing, amazing uh, uh, piano. Uh, that song, Old Town, is probably my favorite. And it's not a Thin Lizzy song, but it's my favorite song that Phil like not ever done, I think. I don't know. I just love it. That song is just so amazing. And I love the, the video. The video is awesome, too. It looks like he's in Dublin, I think, in the video. He's in Dublin, yeah. He's in hometown and just wandering around his hometown. And you know the irony of it is, is that that Grafton Street where you see him on a lot of the a lot of that video is now where his statue is in Dublin. So that oh. that's the irony of the video, which is sad in a way, but yeah. So. No, and it is, and it's it's it, what I love about that song is the lyrics are very sad, but the song is happy. It's like an upbeat song, oh. you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's a great yeah. contrast to it, you know. But the the lyrics are just so heartfelt. I I, I absolutely adore that song. Oh, um, okay, so um, from there, you, you had something else to say because I know uh, we're, uh, after that was uh, Thunder and Lightning. Was there anything in between that? Well, no. Um, you, you know, it, we, we we sort of we we finished the Renegade album, we toured it, and then we we had to think a slot a small break, and we were all getting back in uh, in Pete Townsend Studio in London, Eel Pie, and. Uh, to start writing, you know, and we we, we just got uh, John Sykes in as the new guy from Tigers of Pantang on guitar, and uh, we were all going in the studio to to do some writing for for the Thunder and Lightning album, uh, which was started off in Eel Pie Studios in London. Um, yeah, I mean that was you know that was just the sort of uh, chronology of it. It was just you know it was just like a rolling just a rolling train, you know. And, and just to say, uh, just to go back for a little bit, did Renegade also tour the states? Um, um, yes, I think we did. I think we did because we we definitely played. Um, we definitely played. Uh, you know, it's a little blurry to me. You know, there's probably more guys out there that know the details of the. You know, exactly what tours we did and stuff like that. But. Um, I, I would. I know we toured Europe extensively, but I'm not sure about the states. To be honest, Rob, we right. did Europe, Scandinavia, Germany, France, Spain, all the, all the European run, uh, quite a lot with that. And yeah. and in Europe, I mean, you guys played much bigger venues because. Yeah, I mean, we were we were big in Germany and big in Scandinavia, big in the UK. You know, we were playing um, fifteen thousand people. Seaters in in the UK, fifteen thousand people seaters in in Norway and Scandinavia and Sweden and Gothenburg and Stockholm, big big stadiums there, you know. Yeah, here here not here in the not states, quite, not as big as American stadiums. No, no, it wasn't. You know, I don't think it was ever as big as as Queen, and it was never big as Journey and and, and, and you know those guys. But for the UK, that was that was that was big in, in those type of venues. You're talking ten, twelve thousand people a night. You're talking like Wembley State, Wembley Arena in the UK. Uh, the NEC, you know, Bingley Hall, you know, big places, big places, great gigs. You know, you know, uh, Darren. In the first, in the past, like decade or so, America has actually has caught up. It's too late now, but uh, <laughs> back then, I mean, all we knew was uh, jail. Well, the masses knew jailbreak, and uh, not even that much jailbreak. It was really boys are back in town. That America yeah. was just so close. How amazing this band was. That now people have caught up, you know, and yeah. like, like you know, you have Tim Lizzie going around now with Scott Gorham and Brian Downey and and, and you, of course, and uh, 
you know, now there is a demand of America book infinity, but it's just such a shame. Because, believe me, even back then, you see, how I got into Thin Lizzy was the Bad Reputation album. You know, and I was yep. very young. I was, it was This was the 70s, and I've always wanted to see Thin Lizzy. And like I already told you that story, I had my one chance, and I never did. But then after that, like, you know, Chinatown didn't come down here. You said, Renegade, you, it might have toured the States. And I, I'm almost positive Thunder and Lightning didn't come here uh, uh, to the States. No, I, I, maybe not, no. And, you know, the thing is, I mean, I've got to say for the record, um, you know, we did go out without Philip. And I, for the record, you know, and I think most fans will agree with me that Thin Lizzy has never been Thin Lizzy without Philip. Um, and we, and I wouldn't want to ever say it was because as far as I was concerned, um, you know, we did a great show out there. Scott is amazing. Brian Down is amazing. And the guys that we put around, you know, Ricky and Damon and, and, and John Sykes, they're all, they're all amazing talents. But, you know, I think everybody would agree that, you know, having Thin Lizzy without Phil Liner just wasn't Thin Lizzy. It's, about, it's a bit like having Queen without Freddie Mercury. Yes. As far as I was concerned, and as far as millions of fans out there, I'm sure I was concerned, it's never Thin Lizzy without Philip, really. If the I, bottom, if the truth be told, it just isn't. Yeah, I, I, I agree, but I do think it's a good thing that people get to hear those songs. Yeah, you know, because they, they, they need to be heard and people enjoy them. And, you know, like Ralph was saying, I'm glad to see Thin Lizzy finally getting more attention here in the States. A funny thing, after you and me talked online yesterday, I was driving home, and I, I've, I've got a convertible. I got my top down, and I'm blaring Renegades. Uh, I, I think Angel of Death was playing. And this guy pulls next to me on a motorcycle, and he goes, sounds good. good. What are you listening to? He goes, I go, Thin Lizzy. He goes, never heard of him. He goes, I'm old school. I go, boys are back in town. He goes, I love those guys. And I'm like, <laughs> you, you know, go. so many people, you know. But, but now it, it, it's starting to turn around. Unfortunately, yeah. it is too late, but uh, but that's why I, I was I was happy when, when you know you toured as Thin Lizzy, and then now of course it's evolved into Black Star Riders, because yeah. I, I mean you're all incredible musicians, and and those songs are timeless, and then they still need to be played. You know I feel the same way. Uh, you know I'm a huge Frank Zappa fan, and uh, his his son goes out and plays his, his father's music. And, yeah. and I, I love that because it should carry on. People still want to yeah. hear that music. Oh, yeah, and... doubt. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, you know, right. because we've been out and we've played the Thin Lizzy shows now many, many times with, with different lineups since since Philip uh, passed away. And I and I totally agree with what you're saying. It's, it's wonderful to go out and still play those songs. But as far as the essence of the band is concerned, you know, you'd never get that excitement and the thrill that you got with Phil because Phil was just special. His charisma, his, his deliverance, his, his voice, you know, that was the, Phil it was Thin Lizzy. And, you know, without that, there can be, there can be versions of it and imitations, but you're never really going to get what Thin, what Thin Lizzy, what made Thin Lizzy great was Philip. And, you know, that's just, and bottom line, that's just it. You know, that's just it in a nutshell. I, I did see also the the, the John Sykes led uh, Thin Lizzy in Boynton Beach, uh, yes. Florida as well. And uh, that night, uh, what John said on stage, I I can't remember word for word, but I, I know what he was saying that night was this: "Look, look, this is a tribute to the man." You know, he did. He, yeah, exactly. It, it wasn't like we're trying to be Thin Lizzy. We're 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 here to like uh, share his music. 
and and exactly. keep its legacy alive. Spirit of the band has always been that, and you know, so that's great. If people take it in with that with that in mind, then it's great. And that's, that's what, how that's I what took what it. it. I, believe me, I left that show so happy. It was such a great yeah, show. That, that's the way we had to do it because it was. You know, because it was all about when we first went out doing that. You know, we just had big pictures of Phil in the background, and we just had the. You know, we had. Uh, you know, if we were singing a song, you know, if we don't don't believe a word, you know, you got a big picture of Phil there, and you know, it was all about. It was all about the the, the music and 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 that sort of um, fantastic legacy that the, 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 the you know that Phil is is and, and and what they left. So yeah, it was all in. The, it was all done with the greatest respect, respect, and you know. And, and, and if it ever happens again, it will be it will be the same again because it's all about you know the band you know and, and what it was then. Yeah, paying tribute. So so let me ask you: when you went to the, uh, in the studio to do Thunder and Lightning, was it already thought of to make it like the farewell, the last album, the farewell tour, or did that come afterwards? No, it. You know what? It, it really wasn't. It, it never was supposed to be the last album, uh, as far as I was concerned. We, we sort of knew that Phil uh, was getting a bit tired and Scott was a bit tired. And they, you know, the thing is with those guys, they never really took a break. It was just like you, like you mentioned before, it was one thing after the next, one tour, one album, another tour, another album, another tour, another album. And it got to the point where the guys were under a lot of pressure um, and, you know, keeping that, keeping that um, amount of, uh, keeping that going for so long under under all that sort of you know with all those things that people you know demand from you when you're on the road like that was it took took its toll on philip and, and took its toll on scott and i'm sure scott wouldn't mind me saying that and the guys just needed a rest they needed to take a year off uh go and sit in the sun somewhere and just just you know find themselves again um and you know it was never really that's what that's what the whole idea was. The guys just take a, we could take a, a year off and just and, and spend some time being who they are, you know. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, I think it was like a management uh, decision that, that basically said that it was going to be the farewell tour forever. And it really wasn't, as far as I was concerned, from behind the scenes, it was just we're going to take some time off, guys, so you can so you can nurture yourself and get yourself back fit and well. Uh, and I think the I think I think the management sort of come up with that idea that this. It's crazy thing because you know they wanted it to be a big farewell successful tour. Maybe it was just to sell, you know, six nights at Hammersmith instead of four, you know. But it, it, it I think it, it backfired a little bit, I think. Well, <clears throat> um, I think a lot of people would agree though, that that was a great album and a great tour. Uh, how did you feel working with John Sykes? Was it kind of like a shot in the arm to the band to get, you know, now you got another young person in there, you know, and how, how did you hit it off with Sykes? Um, we got on, we got on quite well. Yeah, I mean, we had a good laugh in the early days. Um, John's a, a good, a great player, great talent. Um, you know, it, yeah, it was, it was a shot in the arm, but it was, it was, it was no sort of more of a shot in the arm than getting Snowy in the band. Or, you know, we, because it, because the the excitement was always just as intense. You know, um, and 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 what I would say about the the. the Thunder and Lightning um, album is that it did it did sort of you know that and Renegade did sort of step up a little bit and it you know it seems to be like we maybe overcompensated too much for Renegade because there's always that sort of thing when you you know you can listen to the press to a certain point and then Renegade 
probably was was uh, taken in one sense by the fans and maybe it wasn't sort of heavy enough. You know, if you listen to stuff like probably Bad Rep and Jailbreak, then Renegade may have been a bit more um, uh, less maybe aggressive or something like that, or less heavy or whatever people want to just how they want to describe it. And then I think you know the Thunder and Lightning album could have been a slight backlash from that. So we tried to go, you know, then, you know, if there was any criticism from that, then we went, you know, you, you, you fight back against the criticism, don't you? And you go a little bit too far the other way. So, you know, some people have said to me that Thunder and Lightning over the years was, was a bit too heavy metal. And then some people have said that Renegade was a bit too light. So, you know, it's what, you know, the, those albums turned out what they were. And, um, you know, I just remember it was a lot of fun recording it. So, I mean, you know, you just... I was, you know, you got to remember, I was quite young, I was like 18, 19, I was on the wave anyway, so, we, you know, we were, we were all on this sort of amazing wave that just kept going, you know, so we, it's it, it's hard to sort of analyse things to that point, at that early, you know, when you're involved in it, you, you can sort of not see the wood for the trees sometimes, you know? Right, and, and while a lot of people do give John Sykes credit for that, is, is it true that the majority of that album was already written before he even joined the band? Well, no, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was it was no, I don't think it was in to be honest because okay. it was uh, you know and I, I I do remember I you know John had that, that there was one great song there that John came up with the riff on and that was uh, the Cold Sweat track um, yeah. and then you know I was I was involved in um, uh, three three or four songs on that album and uh, you know we all we were all we all sort of went in there and and, and basically threw our to our oar in really it was you know i think i've you know i think there's four tracks on there which i've got a co-write with um and you know it, it was typical sort of boys going in the rehearsal studios and and, and belting out their ideas you know so that was it was a, it was a i wouldn't say the album was, was mostly written before john came in no i wouldn't say that it was okay. all sort of we went in did a you know sat down as a, as a band Oh well, I like that. I like that you cleared that up because you read stuff online. And that's what's so nice to talk to, you know, somebody yeah. who was actually there because that's what I've heard for years. No, was that was that, yeah. that that was written before him and really cold sweat is 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 the only thing he really, you know, add to that. So that's very interesting. Uh, yeah. Out of you know, and you also played on on the the live album they did for that tour live. Out of your era in the band, uh, do you have a particular favorite album? That, that you played on? Um, well, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm very fond of uh, Thunder and Lightning. You know, I, I, I was very close, uh, you know, with, with sort of Philip probably more so than Renegade when we got to Thunder and Lightning. So we were better friends and, you know, I, I, you know, I was more established in the band then. Um, but we had a great time recording all the tracks, you know, so it was, it was just one of those things where, as I say, you're on the way you, you, you're whacking out your ideas, and you know, and it was up to Philip really to sort of come in with his with his with his sort of vocals and and, and utilize what ideas were on the table. You know, I, I mean that's the way most bands write, really. You know, you you just throw in your ideas to a pot and then see what can be see see what can be sort of developed out of that out of that pile of ideas. You know, but obviously Scott had some great ideas. Brian Downey had some great ideas. Um, John had some great ideas. I had some what I thought were great ideas and we and we just and Phil obviously had a lot of ideas so it's just throwing them all in and, and Thunder and Lightning was what came out <laughs> and every song on Thunder and Lightning I, I absolutely love and, and it does have a little 
you know, you have your bad, um, bad habits, which is a little more uh, commercial-ish, fun song, and then Thunder and Lightning to me kind of reminds me a little bit of Motorhead, you know, that type yeah. of, you know, and uh, you know, and then you have uh, this is the one that kind of uh, is kind of like, um, oh, uh, what's the song off of Black Rose? Um, Johnny's on a cold sweat, uh, waiting for an alibi, kind of. The five. I'm not saying he's repeating himself. It just has that type of vibe, and I feel like again, it's hard for me to choose which one's better between Renegade and uh, Thunder Lightning. I think they're both great. They're different, but they're both great in the same way. Um, but uh, there, uh, another thing I want to ask is that Life album. Uh, th there is. I mean, I love the thing I love a lot about that Life album. And I know you, you have a big part of it. Was the intro to Gotta Give It Up where you're playing the keyboards and, and Phil is telling like a story of alcohol and, and um, can, do you remember like those was that like a, a multiple show thing that live album or was that all one show because I yeah. believe that was Hammersmith wasn't it it was it was it was it was five nights at Hammersmith we did um, okay and uh, you know it was it was it was I remember it wasn't it wasn't Scott's favorite album um, just because, you know, I think people were just getting to that point there where they really needed to take some time off and, and, and get and get fit and healthy. And um, so I just I do remember the mixing side of it was 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 quite strenuous. Um, so, you know, there was there was I'm sure it was just as difficult sort of getting all the tracks and ideas together as it was with Live and Dangerous. But I do remember it being a strenuous album for for. A, for a few of the guys, especially Phil and Scott, because I think they were just a bit burned out by then, and they needed some time to, to, to you know, to go and find themselves. So, um, yeah, it was it was five hours, it was five nights at Hammersmith Odeon, um, and you know we had, uh, I don't know, we had Gary and Gary and all the all the you know Eric Bell got up with us and uh, Gary Moore and you know all the previous guitarists, you know, so it was it was good fun in that respect. Um, Robo, uh, and it was, you know, so it was, it was, a, it was a great, it was a great fun thing to do, but it was, it was difficult at the same time. You even had Lemmy come up on stage and play. Uh, yeah, during yeah, a... that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. And, and let me ask you, was it every night, every five night, everybody came out, or was that just a one night thing? No, it was a different, it was a different sort of guest every night, you know. And then I think, I think oh, the nice. very last, I think the very last night we had. Uh, uh, all of all the previous guitarists on stage it was Robo. Um, I'm not sure if Snowy was there, but I know we had Robo. I know we had Gary Moore, uh, and I know we had Eric Bell. Yeah, I don't believe Snowy was there. I think he was the only no, one. Yeah, I don't think Snowy was there. No. I think mean, uh, Snowy was up with Pink Floyd at the time. <laughs> do, do Do you have any fond memories? Of, uh, what do you feel about that live album now? Um, uh, the last time I listened to it. I, I, I loved it, but I, you know, I, 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 I you know, I've got to be honest. I haven't listened to it for a while, a long time. Mm -hmm. So I, now, after after Lizzie, uh, you start Dare. Now that you started that prior to to Phil's death, correct? Yes, yes. Not, well, you know, not really, not really. We were all we were all sort of working on a few solo ideas, you know. So. Um, there was just like the natural thing for me when when Phil died that's when I really had to kick in and, and decide what I was going to do um, 
and and you know I was always a song you know as I say Philip Philip uh, taught me a lot about songwriting really and you know I was just sort of developing my sort of craft if you like and and developing myself as a singer and you know and like any like any young guys in any young band you know you all go through that sort of period about finding yourself musically um, you know with there we I I I always. It's difficult coming out of a band like Thin Lizzy because you always expect people expect you to sort of sound like Thin Lizzy in a lot of ways, you know. Um, and as you probably heard from some of the some of the tracks you listen to today, you know, we we've got that Celtic sort of edge, but we're not we're not as um, it's a different style obviously than Thin Lizzy. So um, you know we're doing really well in the UK now. We do really well. We we you know our, our fan base is growing across the world now since the digital sort of. Uh, revolution and we've got we've got access to everybody everywhere now so things are going really well for us we've just we've just played Sweden rock um, I'm doing big bang I'm doing big festivals in Germany Scandinavia and Spain this year and we've just got the new album about to come out in uh, in January February so things are going really well for us yeah nice uh, and what would you say uh, because it, it's it's definitely not like a, a thin Lizzy clone uh, but what are your summer inspirations and and you know for for dare you know well if you if you listen to i mean you know i'm you know the, 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 growing up with the with the guitarist that i did uh working with gary and scott you know it's very hard not to be influenced by uh songs like emeralds you know the emeralds like one of my you know and best favorite thing Lizzie songs and as you know i played you that that cover that we did on yeah. uh our great, last hour great job by the way yeah, thank you. It's a it's a different it's a different version uh, from Emerald, the Thin Lizzy version. But um, you know, if, if you listen to that, you get a real essence of what my interpretation on 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 that particular track is. But also, it gives you a sort of idea of where I come from as far as my my roots are concerned. Because obviously, it's a bit more orchestrated. And what I love about the last, you know, the Metallica album with the I love the you know nothing else matters where the where the strings are in it and the arrangements like that. You know that I, you know, I love that sort of more um, melodic side of rock, if you'd like, but but still with the aggression um, that Thin Lizzy has. So it's a little gentler, but it's also got, you know, it's a, probably a darker side. Maybe from for melodic rock, it's got a dark side. You know, a lot of people say that to me, um, but but it's but it's just it's just what I sort of honed out of Thin Lizzy, you know. So. Um, it's a unique style. I'd like to think that we, we, we sound completely different than from any other band. But you know, I love stuff like I love Mark Knopfler as a player, and I love I love Gary Moore's stuff. So, you know, with that Celtic sort of edge. So it's a it was a natural progression to me there. Nice, nice. And do you have a, uh, any plans to tour in the states anytime soon? Well, we you know it. We'd love to play the states, but at the moment, you know, we 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 we're just conquering Europe at the moment. Uh, <laughs> uh, as I say, we just got we just got some big festivals in Europe. We we we, we seem to be uh, getting you know there's a bigger awareness about the band starting, you know, which is great. This is why it's been wonderful to talk to you guys. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just growing all the time, you know. We, we, uh, you know, I would, I would just ask people to check us out, really, because it's yeah. one of those until you listen to it. Uh, but you know, if, if you, if you, you know, I would say to anybody out there, if they're into, you know, Slipknot or anything, you know, that sort of 
heavy, heavy, heavy metal, then they're probably not going to be for you. But if you like, if you like theology songs like Emerald, and if you like Gary Moore stuff, then definitely check us out because I think you'll like it. You know. Well, we do have a lot of listeners, well, all over the world actually, but a lot in the UK too. So I hope you know you're listening to this. You know, uh, you have a website that people can go to. Yeah, well. If you go to Darren Wharton Official on Facebook, then all our all our sort of um, we do have daremusic.com, but it's just uh, getting a, 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 an overhaul at the moment. But yeah, but definitely come and check us out on on Dare Official, Dare Band Official on Facebook, and also Darren Wharton Official on Facebook. And uh, you know, it'd be great if we could, you know, if, if everybody wants to say hello on on the Dare page, because I think I'm up to my five thousand friends now on my on my personal page. But it's linked to my Dare Band official page, which we've got about 10,000 likes on there now. So we really, nice. we really start to expand, and, and it would be great to see people on there. If they can send me a, a like or a, send me a message to Dare Band official, it'd be great to say hello. And they can get all your tour dates. Will be posted out uh, there. All the, all the tour dates, all the amb- all album inf- information will be uh, updated regularly on there, and uh, and you know, I would you know it'd be great if people could check it out, and I think I think they'd love it. Awesome. Well, Darren, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Uh, it, it's a really fun interview. I hope we can turn some people on to Dare. And also, you know, go back, check out these Thin Lizzy albums because uh, they're amazing. You're a part of a, a really important era for the band. And, and thank you for that. Thank you. Angel of Death alone. Thank you. <laughs> Darren, uh, uh, one more thing before you do go. Uh, is there a, a place that we uh, some people can buy? Uh, your music, the their music, is it? Uh, um... Oh yeah, yeah. Please go onto iTunes. iTunes, uh-huh. all our albums are on there. Listen to the albums "Beneath the Shining Water." Um, listen to the albums "Arc of the Dawn." Listen to the album uh, "Calm Before the Storm 2. Um, some great music out there, and and listen to the album "Belief." And you know, you, I think you'll really like it. We we're getting a nice fan base now in America. We've got a fan base growing all over the world, and and if if people just take a chance to listen to it, um, I I'm I'm absolutely convinced they'll they'll love it. Give give it you know give it a listen, and um, as I say, drop me a line on Dare Band Official on Facebook, um, and it'd be great to hear from all your listeners and fans. And I, I you know I it's been a real honor to talk to you guys as well because it's nice to be recognized not only for the theology thing but you know anything to do with my new project as i'll say well it's been i've had there now 20 years but i mean you know the, the great thing about the internet like this i mean we sat here talking on skype and it's great to be able to talk to the fans and on facebook and likewise you know and just and just sort of meet people that have got musical interests like we have and you guys have and it's it's wonderful wonderful times for for bands like us and that's great, and I and I'm sure we are going to turn uh, some people on to Dare because uh, uh, Ian and I have uh, we do like mostly review shows, and when we do a Thin Lizzy show, it it explodes. Yeah, so our, there, there's last a, one was incredible. Yeah, there is a big uh, audience that loves Thin Lizzy that listens to us, and also a big audience overall. Uh, what yeah. is it like three hundred thousand or something like that, Ian? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so there's a lot of people that tune in every single week. So I'm sure a lot of people are gonna find uh, interest in, in what you're doing now because of 
the body of work you've done in uh in Thin Lizzy. Well, and, that's great. I mean, if you guys do play, if you can play a couple of dare tracks on the show there tonight, it'd be brilliant. Oh yeah, we will do it. Uh, I was gonna ask. That was the next question I was gonna ask you. Uh, you sent us uh, three songs. Would you like us to play all? We'll play all three if you want. You know. I mean, wow. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, definitely play, definitely play my ver my version of Emerald, and I think people will understand where we're coming from musically. Uh, but you know, there's some some of the great tracks on there. Maybe Sea of Roses, maybe uh, well, whatever you guys like. But the, uh, you know, I sent you those tracks, so whatever yeah. you like. Yeah, and I, we'll, we'll play. Uh, of course, we're gonna play your version of Emerald, Sea of Roses, and so the fans know. Also, King of Spades, which you wrote for Phil Lynott, correct? Yeah, listen to King of Spades. Yeah, listen to that for Phil. So that's one of it's a song I dedicated for Phil on our first debut album. Um, you know, it's pretty self-evident when you listen to the lyrics about about what what the song's about, and uh, I hope all your listeners enjoy it. And I I hope I haven't bored too many people with my old rambling stories. <laughs> no, no, actually, everybody everybody's like at the edge of their seats because everybody wants to know everything, Lizzie. And you've brought us like details that I never knew of, you know. And I'm I'm a pretty big yeah. fan of Thin Lizzie, you know. So oh, I, cool. I really do appreciate you being here, Darren, and hopefully. In the future, when you get some new product out, we'd like to have, we'd love to have you back on. You know, fantastic guys, I look forward to that. I've got a new album coming out this very soon, so hopefully we can have a chat about that next time we talk. Definitely, you let us know. Definitely. We'll have any time you, you you have carte blanche, as they say, to, <laughs> to, to our show. You know, you are top man. You are on my Christmas list. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you nice. so much, Darren. And and also, Are you uh, guys on Facebook? Can I send you a friend request? Yes, on yes, yes. Yes, we're both. Oh, we're, 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 we're friends now, aren't we? Yes, yes. Well, uh, you and me are friends. You can send Ralph one. And also, we have a Facebook uh, page for the show, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. And and, and, and I'll add you to it. I can, I can just add you to it. So, I would love for you to send me. I mean, I'll try. To, but you told me you you already have five thousand people, correct, Darren? On my friend request, yeah. But I'll, I, you know, I my, I can. I'll just have to delete a few people I know and tell them it's no nothing personal. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 just just tell Snowy White. He'll understand. You know? <laughs> All right, great, Darren. And Darren, by the way, I I'm also in a band as well, and uh, uh, I understand uh, how how great it is to create music you know so i you know i'm a fellow uh musician as you you say you know and uh yeah, we just yeah. released a cd and we just had a cd release party yesterday we have a uh, 169,000 people on our facebook and uh and we're gonna be touring europe we're touring europe next year so fantastic well i'd love to come and see you uh do you live near london no but i'm always down there but i can definitely i'd love to come and hook up i'll have a pint well oh that would be amazing i will let you know because we are our first show's in London. We don't have every date yet, but we are going to play around England, so maybe it will be near you, you know? So it will be... A a Give me a shout when you're over and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll we'll hook up. Amazing, amazing. That would be amazing. And uh, it will be around like May and April of next year. Okay, mate. <laughs> Thank you so much, Darren, for your time, man. Yeah. Uh, Darren, would you mind, uh, before you leave, just intro whichever one of the three songs you want us to play, but we're going to play them all three in a row, so... I'll, I'll, I'll let you say goodbye with an intro to one of your songs. Okay, this is uh, this is Dare, and you're listening to my version. This is Darren Wharton from Thin Lizzy here, and Dare, and I'd like to play you uh, a, one of my favorite songs, which is Dare's version of the classic Thin Lizzy song, Emerald. 
Took it slowly to the wind No one ever sees the real you And you're standing in the darkness Looking out toward the sea No one understands the things you do
Wow, what an awesome guy, huh, Ian? What a fucking great interview. Oh, yeah, man. Darren, thank you so much for your time. That was fucking incredible. One of our best. Hell, yeah. And thank you, Stephen Kirsch, for uh, hooking that up. The Hasidic headbanger. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you, buddy. Anyway, um, 
So, uh, you know, last week was uh, Halloween, and, you know, usually we go into pick of the week and fan of the week, and we are, but first we got something to talk about. Um, last week was Halloween, and Ian and I went trick-or-treating in uh, podcast land. And uh, and when we got to uh, Podcast Avenue slash Podcast Street, uh, which only has one house there, uh, we went up to the door, we knocked on it, and who, lo and behold, it was the pod father, Ken Mills. That's right. Who treated us to some candy and stuff. And uh, and actually, this is how it went. So this is Kurt... Uh, this is from Podkiss, from their Halloween special, and they were nice enough to let us air our portion because I asked permission if we can air it. And he said yes, so uh, uh, we got candy and we got a tape of us being there. So here it is, uh, Ian and I at uh, at the Podkiss residence. <sighs> well, there's the door again. Well, now who's at the door? Trick or treat. Trick or treat. Hey. Hey. It's Dr. Fuck. <laughs> Ralph Vieira himself and his sidekick, Ian Wadley. What's up, fellas? Hello. How are you guys today? Oh, we're awesome. Happy Halloween. Excellent. What do you think of my costume? I, lo- I love Maud. Maud was one of my favorite shows of the 70s. No, yeah, this is. Yeah, you look like my favorite golden girl. No, this is. Gene from the Asylum tour. Do you wow. Check out oh. Gary's outfit. What do you think of his? Oh, what well, was that the thing from uh, Land of the Lost? Uh, no, I'm one of the robot monkeys from Phantom of the Park. Werewolf creatures from Kiss Meets the Phantom. Oh, yeah. Great costume. <laughs> so, guys, here's some candy. Awesome. Mm. Oh, my favorite, candy corn. Candy uh, corn, uh, yeah. You got any of those uh, caramel popcorn balls? Oh, y- yeah, of course. I figured you'd like the balls. Yeah, the... I, yeah. <laughs> I, I always was a Reese's man myself. Yeah, Gary loves the candy corn. I, I always got sick from eating way too many of those as an adult. That that was not I was, good. I was being sarcastic. That is the worst candy ever. Yeah, but Ken, you know what the best candy ever is? What? It's the song that ends side one on the first two trick album. Thank you. Very good. No candy, don't you? Yeah, they, perfect. That works. Thank you. <laughs> so, guys, it's it's great to have you uh, here on the podcast, and thank you for stopping by the Halloween party today at the podcast headquarters. What were you doing on the way here? Oh, my God. We are going all over the country tonight. First, we're going to go to Nashville. Uh, Ralph's going to TP Chris Sinzak's house. And, yeah. And then I'm going to go over to Aaron Camaro's house, and I'm going to replace all his Ugly Kid Joe CDs with Norwegian black metal. There you go. That'll be then quite a surprise. Then we're going up to Canada, and we're going to steal uh, Kissery Science Theater's ice skates and replace them with roller skates. And then we're going to finish it off by going to the home of uh, Michael from Three Sides of the Coin, and we're going to leave a flaming bag of poop. And and then when he comes out, we are going to be disguised as Gene and Paul. And we're going to tell him he's fired as Minister of Propaganda and watch him cry. That's how how we celebrate Halloween at the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. And that's why Ian is my co-host, because he came up with all of this. I was was too busy watching paint dry. Yeah. Well, there you go. I'm I'm an idea man. Uh Uh-huh. So what are your costumes, Ralph? What are you supposed to be? Well... I'm supposed to be the director of the Kiss Meets the Phantom. That that explains the bag over my head. Oh, okay. And, 
Yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm I'm the director of Kiss Meets the Fat. Uh huh. And Ian, you're you're dressed as a gimp of some sort, or? No, 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 no. I I thought you would get this right away. I am dressed as my fourth favorite Kiss drummer, Alan Schwartzberg. Ah. And this is the prototype. He was going to be the platypus. Ah. Yeah. When well, when, I, I I'm surprised. I thought you knew when they were recording the Elder. You know, by the time they got to the last song, they're like, let's bring in that Alan Schwartzberg kid. And, uh, man, they came up with this costume design. But then at the last minute, uh, they were too scared to have another Jew in the band. So they stuck with Eric Carr. And uh, this is the prototype makeup. And I thought more people would get it, but everybody just thinks I'm a regular platypus. Uh, well, I just figured you were Ralph's Kemp. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah I so. thought that too, Ken. <laughs> Ralph, what is your favorite Kiss Halloween October moment? Well, mine would have to be when they uh, gave Kiss Meet the Phantom on NBC that Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Me and my friend got together. It was a day, a couple days before Christmas. I couldn't have been. I mean, I was a huge Kiss fan at the time. My friend had two TVs, one in his bedroom, one in his living room. We went out in the living room to watch it, but in his bedroom, we left a tape recorder next to the TV. So nice. we can record it on audio. And me being the biggest Kiss fan, I remember when my dad drove me home after I watched the movie, I sat there and thought, you know, that was really bad. <laughs> and, and, and I was like confused because it's supposed to be really good, but it was really bad. And for years, I never saw that movie ever again until they repeated it. On it was like a midnight movie on NBC or CBS, like in 1985, 86. Yeah, and they I were showing that like VHS. every Sunday that night. Thing? Remember that? It seemed like it was on every Sunday night for a while. On CBS, I watched it on CBS. Yeah. Yeah, and when I recorded it on VHS from '85, it's still horrible, but it ruled at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah you know, I mean, it's it's so bad, it's great, and now even even more years later. As years go by, it becomes even more horrible and great at the same time. And I, I adore the movie. And uh, as you know, Ken, I do a commentary on the movie yes. on YouTube. And it's excellent. I, I, I love what you do on YouTube with your, what is it, an eight-part series? Yeah, I think eight or seven or eight. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, uh, I, we I encourage to everyone little, to check drink, that out. I don't, yeah, I don't drink as much anymore because I had a little <laughs> medical problem. I still on occasion have a drink, but back then, I mean, I wasn't even a big drinker back then, but I made it a point to get really drunk on Jack Daniels and watch it and record myself talking. And I did it in like four or five sittings. So it wasn't like I sat through the whole movie drunk. And wound up drinking yourself into a coma, you know? Yeah, exactly. The commentary wouldn't be so good if it was a whole sitting. And by the end of the movie, I'm like, oh, you know, so, uh, so, you know, I would sober up and then go back like a couple weeks later and continue the movie. Well, that right there is my favorite Kiss Halloween memory ever. I love that you and Matt Porter can both do that Devereaux thing without any... <laughs> do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Like it. Mm-hmm. 
We've got to get out of here. Yes, you can believe it. And now on NBC Saturday Night at the Movies, Kiss meets the Phantom. We're just regular human beings. Yeah. <laughs> You're looking for someone, but it's not Kiss. So, Ian, what's your favorite Kiss-themed October or slash Halloween memory or thought? Mine would probably be Halloween 1988. I remember because it was my freshman year in high school, and Halloween's always been my favorite holiday, and I skipped school, stayed home, watched horror movies all day long, of course, you know, no Halloween was complete without Kiss Meets the Phantom or Trick or Treat, that, that's a tradition I hold up to this day, Yeah. and I, I was gonna, it was gonna be the first time I dressed up as Kiss for Halloween, and, uh, me and my buddies, you know, we, we talked about, are we too old to go? Like, no, fuck it, we're still going, because, you know, it's the same gang. We always hung out on Halloween. Mm-hmm. Well, they went to school, and by the time they got home, they decided, it's not cool, we can't do it. I'm like, you're fucking nuts. I, already got, I got this wig, I got the makeup. <laughs> I, was, I was like, you know, fuck you guys, I'm going out anyway. So I, I did a horrible, horrible star. It probably looked like the star of David on my fucking eye. And uh, put on this wig and walked around... And, man, I couldn't find anybody my own age. It was all kids. And it was kind of hard, like, you know what? I'm Maybe I am getting too old for Halloween. But at the same time, I was only months away from, you know, officially losing my virginity and becoming the true Gene Simmons man whore that would sleep with any woman that would say yes. And so then at that point, I started living the kiss dream. So well, there it was you kinda, go. You know, the death of childhood and the beginning of manhood uh, all around the same time. And, you know, for years on after that, I was always, you know, a member of Kiss for Halloween. Nowadays, I'm a little bit too lazy. I do Alice Cooper because the makeup's a lot easier to do. <laughs> Ian, Ian, I have a question. That night in Halloween when you were walking around alone, did you end up in a deli all alone eating a hoagie? Yeah, I was very sad, like Paul Stanley. Even Thank though you. I had all the success and I knew one day I'd be a legendary podcaster, it couldn't come for me on that night. Uh-huh. You're welcome. Yeah. 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 Much like Ralph doesn't drink anymore, I didn't drink till I started doing this podcast with him. Yeah. Now I'm on a liver transplant list, but uh, well, a little. I, I had no idea that uh, holding on to coattails would turn you into a- alcoholic. Yeah. You ever, you ever smelled your coattails? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Ralph, have you uh, ever dressed up as a member of Kiss? Yes, I have, and I even have a picture. It wasn't on on Halloween though. I did do it, uh, and it was it was like a spur of the moment thing. We, there's a thing down here called the Youth Fair. I don't know if you have them up there everywhere in every state. There they have it once a year down here, and when I went. It was like at the height of nobody liking Kiss, mm-hmm. like around the Elder Creatures era, and uh, there was a guy doing makeup, and he had pictures of, you know, what makeup he can do for you, and there was Kiss makeup, and I go, I want to be Ace Frehley, so he painted me up like Ace Frehley, and I do have a picture of me as Ace Frehley, so, but as Halloween, no, I've never dressed up as a member of Kiss, oddly enough, I should have. Well, the important thing is that you got to dress up as a doctor and become Dr. Fuck. Yes, that's right. F-U-K-K. Yes, F-U-K-K. Not the bad word. Not the bad word. Yeah. Soon to be sued for malpractice. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Did you guys ever watch the Paul Lind Halloween special? Uh, Believe it or not, I caught caught that one late, Ken. Uh, I didn't see it when it was aired. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know why, because I was alive. I was like, I I don't believe I was a Kiss fan yet either when that happened, because that was Destroyer era, and I came into Kiss around double platinum. Yeah, well, how but, old would uh, you have been back then? Yeah, I was 11. Wow. I was born in 65, so I was 11 years old. But I did not see that. I saw that Halloween special when I started getting bootleg VHS Kiss mm-hmm. uh, uh, videos back in the... In the 80s, and it was in one of those compilations. That's the best, very first time I ever saw that. And it was a very grainy, horrible, like, you know, the 80s, man. Almost yeah. everything with Kiss with Makeup was horrible quality. Yeah. Except for the Dallas Love Gun show that, that was pristine back then. But, you know, I kind of miss those tape days in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, I do too. I remember no, and there even, was... even if it looked crappy, it was awesome. It's like, wow, look at this. Yeah. You know? And there was this there was this one girl I was dating and she would put up with me watching them. And I would like say all the this Paul Stanley stage raps or like now they're going to play this or you know, you you know exactly when they go, Don't wanna wait till you know me better you know, that kind of thing. And she'd like, How do you know all this stuff? And it's like I I'm just a super fan but what she didn't realize is like the set list was the same all the time and but that's something only us kiss fans know so shh secret anyway well thank you guys for stopping by the uh, podcast kiss room halloween spooktacular and we're really glad that you're out there and having fun and uh, we'd like you to promote your show real quick all right uh we are the rock and metal combat podcast also on that metalstation.com on itunes and podbeam and I also have my own radio show, the Dr. F. Fuck Show, mm-hmm. uh, on that metal station. That it airs at 8 p.m. Eastern and Sundays at um, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern. And I have two bands, Thrasher Die, which has a new album come out, which you can pre-order the vinyl and the CD now at MiamiMetalMerchant.com. And Ian, tell them about your awesome tribute band. Yes, uh, I have the only John Cafferty and Beaver Brown band tribute uh, act in New Orleans, Eddie and the Boozers. So, uh, when in town, come check us out, you know, get on the dark side. Excellent. The drunk, the drunk side. That's right. Fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, it's a shame you guys missed Matt because I know you guys like the kiss room and, uh, you want to say something to him? Matt, you're awesome. Pot beans. Awesome. I wish you were here because it would distract me from looking at Ken, who is really creeping me out in his (laughs) asylum get up here. Well, I've got the white gloves on that go all the... They're fingerless white gloves that go all the way up the arm. And I'm in the red sequin thing. And my hair is just like jeans. And I have a lot of rouge on my face, so... You, you kind of look like that ugly chick in Never Too Young to Die. Have you ever uh, seen that movie? Yeah, Gary talked me out of dressing like velvet. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I'd like, I'd like to say hi to Matt Porter. And, uh, all right, well, sorry we missed you, Matt. We love listening to Kiss Room, and we're... Very honored to be part of this, but uh, we have bags of shit to light on fire, so we, we got to skedaddle. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't soap any windows, and you guys have fun. And Oh, Ken, you're so secretly cruel. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy Halloween, and have fun trick-or-treating. <laughs> how, how Ace would say on the Tomorrow Show, happy Halloween. <laughs> 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 trick-or-treat. So there you have it. That's us at a podcast. And uh, later on, uh, Ian passed out. That's a true story.
All right, so uh, it's time for Pick of the Week, and like always, it, it is a tradition that on yes. Pick of the Week, I am never ready. Never. And never. I'm upholding that tradition this week once again, and I'm letting you go. Go for it. All right, while he picks something up, I want to talk about the debut album by a band I really love called Monster Magnet. And uh, this is their debut studio album, Spine of God. And, you know, some people know Monster Magnet. You might just know uh, that big fucking hit, they had, uh, Space Lord, you know, and, and that's all you know. They've got a lot of great shit, man. This is some drugged out fucking rock and roll the way it should be. Man, take some hallucinogenics and check this fucking shit out. Monster Magnet, Spine of God. Oh, my God. An incredible album. Please do yourself a favor. Check it out. And it's available on Amazon through our link. Yeah, and you know what also is available through Amazon through our link is my pick of the week, which is a Stone Cold classic. Many of our listeners probably own it. If you don't, then you really need to get it. It's the second full-length album from Slayer. And yes. I was talking about Hello Waits. That album is just pure perfection. It's why Slayer is Slayer. You know, a lot of people point at Rain of Blood and this and that, which is amazing as well. I'm not slamming anything. But Hello Waits, man, it's kind of like, I don't know, the bridge between the Metal Blade years to the Deaf American years. But it has still a lot of that Show No Mercy attitude. And Show No Mercy is my favorite. And then, you know, Haunting the Chapel. Dude, sometimes I think Haunting the Chapel, which is a fucking EP, is their best release because it has elements of Show No Mercy and Hello Wait in there. But it's only three songs, not counting that bonus track. But that is my pick of the week. Slayer's Hello Waits. Get it. A uh, great pick. I, I'll tell you this. That was... That took me the longest to get into, but once I got into it, man, I love it. Oh, Great it's, it's like a drug. All right. Well, now we got to do the plugs that we do every week. Of course, check us out on podbean.com. Check us out on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave a five-star rating and a review. We will read it on the show. Also, check us out on that metalstation.com, where you can hear us Sundays at 11 p.m. Eastern, and Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, I believe. Uh, also, check us out on the Indie Authority, where you can hear us Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. And while you're on your computer, buy the shit we're talking about on the Amazon link, please. I want to see some more of you people using that Amazon link, because you know we're turning you on to shit that you don't have that you need, or you need to buy for somebody you love. Check out friends of our show, Destable Geek Podcast, Mars Attacks Podcast, History Science Theater podcast, and right now, I want to get some more of you podcasts that we plug to do this. We're going to play a commercial for Podkiss. Let's do it right now. All right, Kiss Army. Since 2007, you've been getting Podkissed, the Kiss audio fanzine for your ears. That's right, it's your podcast. Every month, the podcast crew, along with the Kiss Room, brings you Kiss Talk like no one else, whether it be roundtables, interviews with the band past and present, analysis, and great Kiss fun. Hi, this is Ace Frehley, and you're listening to Podkiss. Hi, this is Bruce and you're listening to Podkiss. The Podkiss, the Kiss audio fanzine for your ears.
All right, and I also want to say a plug for Barbarian Rage. There you go. Uh, an awesome podcast, and also my the Metal Mandolin Jet from uh, Metal Messiah Radio, a huge supporter of my music, and I love her. And uh, check her out. Check out Metal Messiah Radio, and also check out that metal station, which airs my radio show, the Doctor Fuck Show, and it airs this podcast. And that is on um, bah, 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 bah. Thursday. We debut my show at 8 p.m. Eastern. But two prior, two hours prior to that, at 6 p.m. Eastern, uh, they air the latest episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Now on Sunday, they debut the new episode of Rock and Metal Podcast uh, Combat Podcast at 11 a.m. Eastern, and then at 1 p.m. they repeat my Thursday show. And uh, and also you got Metal Mike, uh, Tyler. Oh, yeah. He has two killer shows: one on Friday at 1 p.m., the other one on Tuesday at 8 p.m., which is uh, a thrashing show. And he's great. I, I unfortunately every Tuesday I'm out and about it, but I haven't listened to him. Oh no, that's not true. Last week I did listen to Mike Tyler on Tuesday using. Uh, my phone with that download app and that's another thing I want you all to get man if you can't be in front of the computer listen to that metal station because there's a lot of good shit going on there get uh what's the name of that app again it's called tune in radio tune in radio and that's how you know everybody's got their phones you know and you see when you got a Facebook thing when you post on Facebook you're gonna be on there I get a little beep on my phone and then I know like hey it's time to go to tune in radio and I listen to it at work you know, and everybody can do this, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we can listen to it at work. But TuneIn Radio is a great, it's a free app, man. All you do is type in thatmetalstation.com, and you can listen to it anytime you want, in your car, walking around, doing whatever. If your girlfriend's talking, just kind of tune her out and listen to the show. Yeah. Or, you know, but also, let's say you, you, your phone died and your girlfriend's talking, it's still easy to tune her out. Just think of, like, um, like, like other chicks. Anyway, so, so, uh, but, uh, also, I also want to say another thing. There are times I'm kind of stuck at home, be it the rain, like the other day I had to wait for the cable guy, or, you know, I had to wait for the video shoot. There's times I'm stuck at home, and every time that happens, I, I, I write to the master of the metal station called uh, Scott Green, and I ask him, yo, is anything going on? Can I DJ? And there's times I get on that metal station for four, five, six hours, sometimes one hour. I'm stuck at home. I'm cleaning around the house, but I'm playing the tunes, and I come on every half hour. I play people's requests. So, trust me, man. I play the shit, so, and so does Mike Tyler, and so does DJ Guilty, who's also... I'm not going to give away his his identity. And I know we have some more DJs on the DJ Slay, and I'm sorry if I'm missing everybody else. But who the hell's calling me? Uh, yeah, thatmetalstation.com, where they, they rule. And also the Indie Authority, right? Yes, where you can hear us on Saturdays. And if you enjoyed this awesome interview with Darren from Thin Lizzy and Dare, come back next week. Holy shit, next week we have TV legend David Letterman in town. Why is it this time I believe you? David Letterman. And this, I, I said, okay, Dave, you were, you know, the king of late night. What do you want to review? He said, I want to talk about war. America must be destroyed. And I was like, you got it. Oh, man. That's next week on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast.